Um, but I invite you to pray with me now as we turn to God's word. Lord, it is such a privilege to have access to your word, to the Bible. And we, we remember that um, so many believers before us have uh, worked and sacrificed to um, give us the access we have to this book. Thank you for your sovereign plan of um, inspiring and, and um, letting the scriptures be recorded, especially today as we look at the Gospel of Mark. Thank you that this portrait of Jesus was set down in writing for the generations to follow. And I pray that as we attend to the words that Mark wrote about Jesus, we would encounter Jesus himself. Lord, we want to know you through these words and not just hear words about you. So give us open hearts. Help us to respond as you want us to. In Christ's name, amen. Well, this is our fourth Sunday looking at the Gospel of Mark. We're still in the beginning of this gospel. And I just love the passage today. Mark's, Mark 1, verses 16 through 45. It's a fairly long section, uh, but we're going to be taking kind of a bird's eye view today. Now, I wonder what thoughts and feelings come into your mind when I say the word authority. Authority. I think we, we all have kind of a conflicted relationship with that term and with people in authority, right? On the one hand, we, we don't like people telling us what to do. We don't like being bossed around. On the other hand, we need a certain amount of authority. We seek out authority in life. And there's kind of this, this paradox in us of, of wanting authority but rejecting authority. I th a good illustration is, you know, you've seen the people who drive trucks that have a flag on one side that's the don't tread on me flag. The, the rattlesnake says don't tread on me. It's like nobody's going to tell me what to do, especially the government, right? Get your hands off my stuff, my property, my rights. And on the other side of the truck is an American flag, the Stars and Stripes, which represents this nation of laws and social structures and authority and leadership and it seems like kind of a contradiction, but that contradiction is within us all, right? We don't like people telling us what to do. How many times have you said or thought, you can't tell me what to do, <laughs> right? We want to do it our way. We want to figure out life ourselves. Some of that comes from bad experiences with authority. You may have had a a domineering boss or an abusive authority figure in your life, even a parent, and that can be very wounding, and it can, it can give us a, a resistance toward authority. So we resist it. On the other hand, we seek it out. Um, we seek out people who are authorities in their fields to give us advice and to tell us how to live. If you watch uh, any hunting shows like, like uh, Meat Eaters or American Whitetail, which I don't, but if you're a hunter, you might watch those and, and see that those hunters are platformed because they're seen as authorities in their skill. If you have surgery, 
you sign the waiver giving that surgeon authority to cut you open and to try to fix your insides because you trust their knowledge, their education, their skill, their experience, right? You might be an athlete and you have a coach who's working with you to, to improve your game and you are relying on their authority to guide you and to, to uh, shape you. We all have heroes whose footsteps we want to walk in, right? Whose authority we, we appreciate and receive. So on the one hand, we don't like people telling us what to do. We resist authority. On the other hand, we need authority and we seek out authority. And our text today in Mark 1 is all about the authority of Jesus, no one else in history has had as much authority as Jesus has. And no one else has used that authority the way Jesus did. So we see in Jesus a completely new way, a completely different way of using authority. And it's an authority that we desperately need. All of us need his authority. So this... Uh, passage has five short scenes. You know, Mark, Mark keeps the story moving. He goes from one thing to the next to the next. And in, in each of these scenes, I wish we could spend the whole morning on each one of these, but we can't. So in each of these, we'll see why Jesus' authority is good news for us. Okay, so scene one, <clears throat> verses 16 through 20. And uh, please open your Bibles so you can follow along to, in Mark 1. And that's on page, um, anyone know the page of the Pew Bible that's on? 812, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. It says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, this is really interesting. So, Jesus is now launching his public ministry. He's walking beside the Sea of Galilee. I think there's a picture of the Sea of Galilee there after the reading, if you could go to that. And he sees these men who are fishermen. Now, uh, this is highly unusual. Oh, I guess not. The Sea of Galilee is um, a beautiful, it's, it's a large lake in the Holy Land. Um, beautiful climate, and um, fish, fishing was a big trade there. Actually, Galilean fishermen were highly skilled professionals. They, their fish went into a, uh, a global market throughout the Roman world. So these are not just guys out for, you know, making a day's wage. They're skilled professional fishermen. And for some reason, Jesus, the first thing he does is ask actually not ask, command, call these men to be his followers. 
Now this is so unusual because in the Jewish world, a rabbi did not call followers. Followers, aspiring disciples, would seek out and apply to a rabbi and say, let me prove to you that I have what it takes to be your student. And Jesus flips that around and says, he, he sees these men and he says, follow me. Follow me. Come live with me. See what I do. Learn from me. Literally, follow me, walk with me, and I will give you a mission. I will send you out to fish for people. We'll explore that topic in another sermon. But the other reason this is strange is because usually when someone says, it's about me, that's a red flag, right? If someone is self-centered like Jesus was, we're suspicious there's been no other religious teacher or founder of a movement of a, of a religion in this world who said, it's all about me. They've said, come listen to my teaching about God. Come learn from me about something else. I will show you the way. But Jesus said, follow me. Come to me. It's about me. If you had a friend who came to you and said, I've been watching this guy on YouTube and it's, he's a spiritual leader and he's been telling me things that are blowing my mind and he's asking people to, to sell their homes and quit their jobs and go live with him in Montana and I, I'm going to do it next week. You'd be like, whoa, <laughs> stop, do not do that. You're going to end up in an HBO miniseries, you know. <laughs> this is a bad idea. But essentially, that's what Jesus is asking. He's saying, leave your job, leave your family, come follow me. And they do. Well, what would make them uh, listen to that call so quickly? The other Gospels show us different dimensions of this scene, different things that happened, but what Mark wants to emphasize is the authority of Jesus' call. When he speaks, things happen. His call is effective. Psalm 33, verse 9 says, He spoke and it came into being, referring to God at creation. And in the same way, Jesus speaks and things happen. This might not be verse 9, actually. When Jesus speaks, things happen. When he calls you, you follow when you hear that call. The authority of Jesus' call. Now scene two talks about the authority of Jesus to teach. Listen to this in verse 21 and following. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Okay, pause there. There were lots of religious experts in this day called scribes. They were the most educated people in society, sometimes even more educated than the priests. They knew the Torah. They knew how to write. They knew how to interpret they also settled legal disputes in public. 
They were the, the educated elite of the day. And yet, when they taught, they were saying, this is what this passage says, and this is what such and such rabbi said about this passage, and this is what the tradition says. And now here comes Jesus. I don't know what he was teaching in this synagogue. And a synagogue is just a, was a meeting place for Jewish people to study the law. I don't know what he was teaching, but it raised some eyebrows. Because he was teaching with the authority of God. Saying, this is the way it is. Right? You read the same thing in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 where the crowds are amazed, they're thunderstruck at the authority of Jesus to teach. Now, pretty soon something happens here in the synagogue that tests his authority. Verse 23, Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This demon in this man, or these demons, are trying to gain the upper hand on Jesus by saying his name, declaring who he is. Interestingly, the first character in the book of Mark to recognize who Jesus truly is, is a demon. Because they get it. In the spiritual world, Jesus is there to end their authority and their power, the power of the devil. So this is a test, and what happens? Verse 25, Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Jesus has authority to teach. Most people with authority derive that authority from other people, right? There's an institution or a collective that says, you are qualified to tell us, uh, to teach us, or to speak truth, or to you know, to, to, you're an expert in your field. But with Jesus, no one, no one is giving Jesus his authority. It doesn't come from the will of the people. It comes from God himself. That's why he has authority to teach. And it's a completely unique kind of authority, unlike anything anyone has ever seen. And we need that authority in our lives. The world is flooded with opinions, information, misinformation, disinformation, heresy, half-truth. Um, there's just all kinds of teachings coming at us. Every, every time you open your phone, you're getting some teaching from someone that's shaping your mind and that's it's confusing so many of us and so many people. The flood of, of teaching and information that we have today. With this pundit and this influencer and this YouTuber and this columnist all telling us different things. 
And that's why we need the authority of Jesus to teach us what is true, to teach us the way things really are and, and what we really need. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't listen to any human beings, but I'm saying in a world where there's so much noise and so much half-truth and, and, and lies, Jesus is the one authoritative voice that you need to listen to. Scene three, Jesus has authority to heal. We've already seen this in a way with him casting out the demon. He has authority over evil spirits. But look at the next scene. Verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. Now, in that day and age, a fever was seen as a judgment from God. They didn't understand infections and medicine, but they, they saw a fever as a malady in itself, and it was understood as a judgment from God. So Jesus went into her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Wow. So with a touch, he heals her body. And interestingly, Simon-in-law's mother uh, understands quicker than the male disciples do that they should be serving Jesus. <laughs> that it's good to be a servant. So she gets up, she probably makes a meal for them and begins serving them. But look what happens next, verse 32. That evening after sunset, because it's Sabbath and people can't travel until after sunset, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Interesting. So here's Jesus, the healer. People are coming to him with all kinds of sicknesses and even, even demon possession. Now, there's a whole conversation we could have about miraculous gifts and healing and casting out demons and how that does and doesn't happen or may or may not happen today. But the point today is that Jesus has authority to heal and authority over evil. Authority. Who else in the world has authority over the human body? That with a word, with a touch, he can heal any disease. Who else does that except Jesus? And it's no wonder people were amazed and people were bringing all their sick friends and relatives to him and, and he was there healing them. Um. Now, why would he not let the demons speak because they knew who he was? Just like the guy in the synagogue, why does he want them to keep quiet about his identity? Well, that's because Jesus uses his authority differently than anyone else, and that becomes clear in the next two scenes. So scene four, verses 35 to 39. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. 
Simon and his companions went looking for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. You can imagine the disciples' excitement when they realized how much power and authority Jesus had. He's there healing people, and I wonder if Simon slash Peter is thinking, this is going to be great. We can set up a, 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 like a healing ministry. We can draw people from all around. Jesus is going to get famous, and I am one of his disciples. This is going to be awesome. So what happens, though? His expectations are completely changed. The next morning, Jesus slips off by himself, it doesn't seem interested in the crowds. He's off praying, depending on his father, praying for what he needs, praying for wisdom and direction, maybe praying against the temptation of being famous. I don't know. Jesus doesn't want to be famous. Jesus doesn't want to draw crowds except to teach about the kingdom of God. Now, this is so backwards to the way the world works. In our world, we see a huge crowd as a sign of success. Taylor Swift, the era's tour, drawing millions of people around the world, selling tickets for ungodly sums of money, thousands upon thousands of dollars. I read or heard about a, a man in Argentina who cashed in his entire life savings to take his two daughters to Taylor Swift. Because popularity and fame is this, like, intoxicating thing. And we, we say when someone draws a crowd of 100,000 people, wow, they are, they're crushing it. They're successful. They're famous. Um, have you ever met someone in authority with power who did not like being in the spotlight? It's pretty rare. It's pretty rare, if at all. Um, but Jesus is like that. He's not interested in crowds. He's not interested in drawing attention to himself as a healer and doing miracles and wowing people. His mission is to proclaim the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And he's not interested in people's opinion of him, in his popularity, in his fame. He wants to use his power differently. Now, as a side note here, but a very, a very related point and an application, I wonder what kinds of leaders do you, do you follow? And in particular, I want to say beware any leaders who seem to love their power, who seem to glory in the spotlight, who draw attention to themselves and say, look at me, look how great I am. Because pride and power are a toxic combination. So whatever um, pundits or politicians or even pastors have that approach to leadership, beware and be careful not to get sucked into that. 
Jesus shows the true, is the true model of how to use authority well as a servant. So let's look at this final scene that really, really brings it together to show how Jesus um, uses his authority in a radically different way. Starting in verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now we need to understand this before we move on. A man with leprosy, he had some kind of a skin disease. And in the ancient world, skin diseases were, um, were scary because there was no cures for these things. Um, they were contagious. And the Old Testament had laws about, about essentially quarantining people with skin conditions so that it didn't infect the community. And this man would have spent... Who knows how long he had this condition, but he had to be isolated from other people. They had to dress um, in a disheveled way and make them, their appearance obviously um, unkempt so people would notice them and stay away from them. They were not allowed within a certain number of paces from, from people. So they were completely cut off from the community. They were out alone um, left out, isolated. They just were in a bad situation. So for this guy to come to Jesus, do you see how much he's risking to walk up to Jesus and say, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He's risking it all because he believes Jesus can do something. And how does Jesus respond? Verse 41, Jesus was indignant. Huh, was he mad at this guy for, for coming to him? He's indignant that this guy has had such a hard life and that this disease has ravaged him and that um, the situation is what it is. Another translation is Jesus was filled with compassion. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Now, Mark is doing something really cool in this passage because the leper begins cut off from people outside the community. He comes to Jesus Jesus heals him, and what happens to Jesus because he heals him? Now Jesus is the one outside in lonely places, unable to enter the towns. He has traded places with this leper. He has used his authority to heal and to lay down his own desires and rights and to suffer the consequences of, of healing this guy. And that, 
friends, is a picture of what happens during the whole gospel. Jesus comes, he empties himself, he lays himself down for us, he is rejected. He trades places with us as sinners. And he is on the cross, we are not. He is rejected, we are accepted by God. You see how Jesus uses his authority in a completely different way than anyone who has ever lived. Most people, when they're uh, powerful and have authority, they, they keep it to themselves. They want to protect it. They want to build themselves up. But Jesus did the opposite. He emptied himself. At the same time, he was not afraid to say, follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. It's about me. He was totally self-centered, but not proud at all, not prideful at all, not self-absorbed. But he laid down himself for others. That's why Jesus' authority is such good news, because only that kind of authority is what will save us. We need him to tell us what to do. We also need him to lay his life down for us. And that's what he did. But his authority is only good news if we submit to him. This is the crux of it, right? It's not enough to be amazed by Jesus. The crowds are amazed. It's not enough to be even healed by Jesus. What Jesus wants is for us to follow him, to come under his authority, to submit our lives to him, to say, you have the right to tell me what to do. <laughs> so that if Jesus teaches something, we believe it. If he commands something, we obey it. If, we, uh, if he prohibits something, we avoid it. If he tells us to bring a need to him, we bring it. If his spirit prompts us to repent, we repent. That's what it means to be submitted to Jesus, following Jesus. <clears throat> what keeps people from doing that, from responding to the call to follow him? Well, a fear of losing control. We don't like other people having control of our lives, but is there anyone you can think of, including yourself, who could do a better job running your life than Jesus could? Right? Who has more authority and more humility and compassion? You won't find anyone. We have had bad experiences with authority. We've been abused by people in authority. So we fear that it will be the same with Jesus. But it won't. You see, Jesus traded places with the leper. Jesus laid his life down for, for the lost, for us sinners. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is a model of humble authority. Sometimes it's pride. We, we just simply think, I can do better. I know what's best for myself. And we see where that leads all kinds of problems in our lives. So come to Jesus, listen to his call to follow him, and yield yourself to his authority. And the last thing I'll say is this. 
as a church, what kind of a faith are we inviting people into? Um, sometimes we sometimes we think that Christianity is about um, identifying with a certain religion or adopting a set of beliefs or doing certain behaviors, and it may include that, but primarily and fundamentally, Christianity is the call to a person, the person of Jesus. It's a call to, to follow him, to obey him, to worship him, to, to emulate him, to let him be formed in our hearts by faith. And if we ever lose sight of that, we're doing the wrong thing here. We're calling people, we need to call people to discipleship, to following Jesus, learning from him, submitting our lives to him. So may God give us the grace to do that well. Let's pray.